Africa, rise and shine. Africa, zora. Africa, amka na unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is uh, Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We're, we're on the DSTV audio bouquet channel 802 on w- and on za. Our shortwave transmitter has been temporarily disabled and we will inform you as soon as we're up and running. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Amanda Machaka, Tabiso Lohoko and Figile Lingwati. In our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Rwanda begins 100-day mourning for genocide victims and South African ministers meet African ambassadors to find ways to curb attacks on foreign nationals. In economics news, South African retailer Steinhoff delays release of its financial statements. And in sports news, Sundowns thrash Al-Akhli in CAF Champions League quarterfinal. But first up, the news with Amanda Machaka. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning. 21 people have been killed and 27 others wounded in fighting near Libya's capital, Tripoli. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has called for an immediate halt to the fighting and called for talks. Rebel forces under General Khalifa Haftar have advanced from the east with the aim of taking Tripoli. Prime Minister Fayez al-Siraj has accused him of attempting a coup and says rebels will be met with force. Walid al-Kuldari is from the Libyan National Commission for Human Rights. This is the largest city in Libya. It holds about 3 million people. And uh, we can see this escalating to a point where it becomes a very bloody, very messy uh, civil war, uh, which is going to basically dismantle every effort that has been taken so far and basically put the country in chaos. Thousands of demonstrators have spent a second night camped outside Sudan's army headquarters, demanding that President Omar al-Bashir step down. They appear to be hoping for an internal coup, pleading with the army command to remove al-Bashir and open the way for a transitional government. Security forces used tear gas and stun grenades to try to disperse protesters outside the army compound in the capital Khartoum. But eyewitnesses say soldiers intervened to protect activists, forcing security forces to withdraw, and some civilians reportedly sheltered in the Sudanese Navy's headquarters. The army has not yet formally intervened in the demonstrations. The latest rallies mark the 34th anniversary of the coup that overthrew the regime of former President Jafar Nimeiri. Tunisian President Beji Kaidi Sepsi has announced he will not run for a second term in presidential elections expected this year, despite his party's calls for the 93-year-old to stand. Mass protests that toppled ailing President Abdelaziz Bouteflika in Algeria have stirred the opposition in Tunisia, and social media campaigns have begun rejecting a second term of Sepsi. The Tunisian constitution adopted by parliament in 2014 gives him the right to run for two terms. 
Tunisia will hold a parliamentary election on October 6 and a presidential election starting on November 17. There will be the third set of polls in which Tunisians can vote freely following the 2011 revolution that toppled longtime leader Zin El Abedin Ben Ali, who ruled for 23 years. South Africa's Independent Electoral Commission says it will announce its decision on the objections it has received which will affect some candidates on political party lists. The IEC has received more than 66 objections which could affect nine political parties contesting the May general elections. Last Tuesday was the cutoff date for objections and the Commission has since written to all affected parties, asking them to respond. The ruling ANC has the highest number of affected candidates. The party's list has been in the spotlight after people implicated in wrongdoing were included in its parliament and legislature's list. The Electoral Commission's Commissioner, Janet Love. We are hoping to be able to convene um, a press conference uh, by which time we will be able to give you know, a lot more detail. There are certain allegations that are made that we certainly don't have any basis to make any decisions about the veracity, the accuracy and so on. Secondly, there are different levels of allegations that are made. We've had to process over 60 sets of objections. And finally, Zimbabwe plans to complete land valuations by the end of May to determine the level of compensation to be paid to former white commercial farmers who lost their properties during the government's land reform program. In 2000, the government seized farms belonging to mostly white-owned farms and uh, replaced them with black farmers, saying the move was meant to address colonial imbalances. Zimbabwe has budgeted 53 million U.S. dollars this year as an interim compensation. For Channel Africa News, I'm Amanda Machaka. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Follow Channel Africa on these social media platforms on Facebook, Channel Africa One, on Twitter, at Channel Africa One, and YouTube on Channel Africa Radio. Our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Channel Africa, from an African perspective. Rwanda has begun 100 days of mourning to commemorate the 25th anniversary of a genocide that tore the small country apart and left close to a million people dead. President Paul Kagame and several other heads of state on Sunday laid wreaths and attended the lighting of the Flame of Remembrance at the Kigali Genocide Memorial to signal the start of the mourning period, which coincides with the duration of the brutal campaign of killings in 1994. The memorial in the capital, Kigali, houses the remains of more than a quarter of a million people who lost their lives in the slaughter. Silvanas Caramera reports from Kigali. The sky at the Kigali Memorial Center, where the kickoff of the 100 days commemoration of genocide that was committed against the Tutsi community in Rwanda, was hovered by melancholic songs, mainly calling memories of those victims laid to rest at this biggest genocide memorial center in Rwanda.
the event was preceded by leaders led by President Paul Kagame laying wreath of flowers at the graves in which 250,000 victims are laid to rest and later lighting the torch that symbolizes a hundred days in which genocide was committed. A wide-ranging speeches from world leaders depicted the scale at which the tragic genocide was perpetrated and how Rwandans were ignored by the international community at the time of need was delivered. The President of the European Commission, Jean-Claude Juncker, admitted the Security Council and the international community did not act enough to intervene into what was happening to Rwanda. The Belgian Prime Minister, Charles Michael, whose country lost 10 peacekeepers in Rwanda at the time said the fact that the international community abandoned Rwanda contributed immensely to the killings. But 25 years later, the country has turned the page and become the beacon of hope. Je me tiens devant vous pour représenter... Standing before you, I represent my country, Belgium, to stand with Rwanda in history that involves our two countries. Today morning, I spoke to some of genocide survivors. Equally, I spoke to some members of families of Belgian soldiers who lost their lives here. They all demonstrated an incredible hope of future. I therefore speak on behalf of Belgian people in admiration of resilience, courage of Rwandans in their quest of searching for the light of tomorrow. It is because of this courage and resilience of the Rwandan people that has finally made this country move forward, according to President Paul Hagame. Rwanda became a family once again. The arms of our people intertwined constitute the pillars of our nation. We hold each other up. Our bodies and minds bear amputations and scars, but none of us is alone. But he said 25 years journey of remembrance of genocide has been characterized by a lot of challenges, including some local and foreign powers plot to meddle into internal affairs of this country. However, they too had a message from him. And here let me say one thing that I hate to say and we shall as much as we can avoid. For those who think our country has not seen enough of a mess and in the defense of those children you saw and others in this country and our nation. And by the way, we claim no special place, but we have a place to claim. And I'm saying those who think we have not seen enough of a mess and uh, want to mess with us, whether they are from here or from outside, I want to say we will mess up with them big time. The Ethiopian Prime Minister, Dr. Abiy Ahmed, who was one of the Ethiopian peacekeeping contingent members in Rwanda at the time, said if the international community had acted enough within their powers, the history wouldn't have judged them today. If we genuinely valued ourselves as individuals and recognized our own wars, then we would also be able to pull back our blinders and see a reflection of ourselves in one another. 
an awareness of our blind spots ultimately heals us all from the pains we experience and in turn infiltrate on others. The event was attended by several heads of state and governments from Africa and Europe, and later in the evening, they all joined thousands of Rwandans to observe the night vigil at the Maori National Stadium in the Rwandan capital, Kigali. Sylvanus Kalemira reporting for Channel Africa in Kigali. South Africa's ruling ANC leaders, including Secretary General Ace Mahashule Natim Tetwa and Tabang Makwetla, joined Solomon Kalushi Matlangu's family on a tour of the Gallows Museum at Kosi Mampuru, the second in Pretoria. April 6th is the 40th anniversary of the former ANC military wing Umkontowe Sizwe members' execution. 3,500 people were executed at the center between 1902 and the early 1990s when the death penalty was abolished. Neo Makwiting reports. Abraham Mahulera Choho is the senior correctional officer during the educational tour by the ANC's top brass and Solomon Masangu's family, Rakhoho acted as tour guide. Rakhoho took the group through the process prisoners had to follow until their final destination with the hangman. He says the gallows facility were constructed in such a way that seven people could be hanged at a time. Rakhoho says the condemned inmates, after taking 52 steps from the cells in the basement of the building, would find themselves standing on top of the gallows trap door, face to face with the hangman. These trap doors that you see here, as they were opened, these were the typical sandbags, just for the noise, as the doors were opening. This stretcher will be positioned here, and the bodies will be lowered and put on the stretcher, and they will, they will be washed. There is a tab at the back here, and it was used to wash the bodies. And from here, they will be taken into the post-mortem room. That's where the bodies will be prepared and be put in these coffins. This was the typical coffins that were used in which they were buried. At the back here, we've got a lift that leads to the chapel. They will be put in and they will be taken down to the chapel for a prayer service. And then they will be brought up again, use this route and be taken to the cemetery. After listening to the fascinating story of the gallows and how the hangman carried out his job, Arts and Culture Minister Natim Teta says the story and legacy of Solomon Matango is a true reflection of the inhumane and brutal system of apartheid. Teta says the theme of this year's commemoration is about who the real Solomon Matango was and his enormous contribution to the freedom enjoyed by many today. It wasn't easy to reach 1994 and uh, it's our conviction that we expose South Africans to the true story of what really happened. Solomon Matlangu's story is a story of uh, caring for his people because one of the last things he said is that tell my people that I love them. He was selfless about what he was doing. He was not doing it for fame. He was not doing it for any glory but conviction that in the final end, even if he dies, but if his people uh, live. 
the execution of political prisoners which gained notoriety in the early 1960s was discontinued in the early 1990s when the death penalty and capital punishment were finally abolished. National Youth Development Agency Executive Sefisom Tweni has called on government to turn apartheid hubs into historical learning centers. Apartheid was a brutal system. As you can see, there's 3,500 people who were just hanged in here. And young people need to know about this because if we're going to build a patriotic society, if we're going to build a society that is united, we need to tell our history in its original form. So there are two things that we're saying. One, this particular center must be open to the public. Secondly, Robben Island must be accessible to the people of South Africa. It cannot be a center where people from international countries will just come here and be able to go to Robben Island when young people of this country cannot access our history. Meanwhile, Solomon Mashango's brother, Chief Lucas Mashango, has thanked South Africans for their continuous support. The family is happy. Nothing is wrong about the family's feelings. We are very happy about what the people are still doing because it proves that the nation as a whole Solu is not forgotten to all South Africans, the rainbow nation, I mean black and white. The true story behind political execution is difficult to tell holistically, as all those who worked in the gallows signed a secrecy clause. This means many of them are likely to take the truth to their graves. I'm Nemo Quitting in Pretoria. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebati, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism, highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday, 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time. Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Ule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. A grand plan headed by South Africa's President Sul Ramaphosa will soon be established to deal with sporadic attacks on foreign nationals. This came out at a meeting between a team of three ministers and dozens of members of the African diplomatic community in South Africa, held in Pretoria last Friday. The three ministers included South Africa's International Relations Minister Lindue Sisulu, Police Minister Begi Kwele, and Home Affairs Minister Siabonga Kwele. The gathering is a follow-up on the meeting which was called to discuss attacks on Malawian nationals in Durban two weeks ago. Debo Mugobo has more. A high-powered grand plan to be headed by President Ramaphosa is part of a lasting solution agreed upon by African diplomats to end attacks on foreign nationals. International Relations Minister Lindy Wesisulu says this plan will also include organizations dealing with foreign nationals in the country. We are going to have a grand plan. A grand plan does not materialize after two or three meetings. It needs a lot of work put into it. Right now you're dealing with three ministers interacting with the diplomatic corps. A grand plan would be at the level of the president. 
dealing with various NGOs that deal with foreign communities or relations between communities. It would involve uh, United Nations agencies that operate in our country and any such organizations that are concerned about the plight of people who flee from their countries, etc. Currently, a task team comprising of ministers and some African ambassadors is dealing with issues of criminality arising from the killing of three locals in Deben last week. And although not committing to any figure, Home Affairs Minister Siabonga Kwele raised concerns over the amount of money used to repatriate foreign nationals. We have engaged excellencies that the biggest challenge we have is not people who come to South Africa legally. It's those who come illegally and they immediately, when you try and deport them, they call themselves asylum seekers. That's what is clocking our systems and we have to work together with the ambassadors and high commissioners to deal with some of these challenges we are facing. We told them how much we spend per year to deport some of these uh, and sometimes we need help from them. The first thing uh, when you catch an illegal migrant, they don't know where they come from. Sometimes they give false sense that I come from Zimbabwe and they come from maybe Malawi. So those are the things the embassies will help us to identify so that we communicate quickly to deal with the challenges which we face. And the African diplomats are hopeful that such interactions are necessary to deal with attacks on foreign nationals once and for all. Eric Frank says Ono is Benin's ambassador to South Africa. We expect a kind of follow-up that will enable us to be able to talk more frequently with the authorities of this country and to have the possibility to reach out to the persons that can help us to solve the issues. If I have to give my appreciation, especially on that fact, I should say that I'm, I'm happy. But there is a lot to do. Meanwhile, a group of hashtag not in my name protesters was picketing outside the DIRCO offices where a meeting between the three ministers and the African diplomats was taking place. The group denounced attacks on foreign nationals, describing it as self-hate as only foreigners of African descent are being attacked as Yabulela Gentile explains. We are condemning that because we are saying it's self-hate. We've got foreigners who are from Europe, who are from Asia, but you'll never see them being beaten, being killed, because we are taught to kill those who look like us. And that is what we are saying. It is wrong. Why are you not touching foreigners from Europe there? So we are saying xenophobia must fall. We are saying not in my name to xenophobia. That's why we are here. The three ministers and African diplomats have also agreed to meet soon to discuss the socio-economic part of the problem raised by locals with the aim to regulate all foreign-owned businesses in the country to avoid future tension. I am Tebu Mokobe in Pretoria. Join world-renowned Harvard economist and corporate strategist Mark Kramer and other exciting speakers in Nairobi, Kenya at the Africa Shared Value Summit from 23 to 24 May 2019. Hear how business thought leaders and changemakers have transformed their organizations through profit with purpose. Book your ticket at africashadevaluesummit.com today. Channel Africa is a proud media partner of Africa Shared Value Summit and will be broadcasting live from the summit. Make sure you don't miss out on the broadcasts on the 23rd and the 24th of May 2019. Log on to www.channelafrica.co.za or Southern Africa DSTV 802 to listen. Channel Africa from an African perspective. 
Africa Rise and Shine. Our South Africa's United Democratic Movement is calling for an urgent national summit which must include foreign nationals, aggrieved South Africans, the United Nations refugee agencies and law enforcement agencies. The UDM says the summit will provide a lasting solution to the ongoing xenophobic attacks and concerns raised by communities against foreign nationals. UDM leader Bantu Olomisa was addressing Rosettenville community south of Johannesburg, which called for his intervention in challenges they face involving foreign nationals. They accused foreign nationals of selling drugs, opening brothels and illegally evicting community members in their homes. Busiswa Jamsana Mandashe has more. A group of disgruntled residents of Rosettenville and surrounding areas are not happy with how they live in their community. The residents come from poverty-stricken areas where crime and drug abuse arrive. They accuse foreign nationals of turning their children into sex slaves and drug addicts. This community says people are killed on a daily basis and they now fear for their lives. They have called on UDM leader Bando Lomisa to intervene. They have accused the ruling party of ignoring their plight. Nokwanda Oliphant and Jeremiah Muhulwabone explain. The forensic team came and disconnected my electricity. The electricity is prepaid, it's in my name. They disconnected my electricity and said, the Nigerian said the house belongs to him. When I show them the documents, everything, what, what I've got, no one wants to listen to me. Issues number one is the issue of drugs and prostitution. The issue of hijackings of properties in our area, which is Tefunteng, Bosetenville, Poisons, and other surrounding areas. And the issue of um, um, uh, hijackings, um, property, and illegal evictions. The UDM has undertaken to table a report detailing the plight of the community at all levels of government, including parliament and the president. Olomisa elaborates. There is no way that uh, the United Democratic Movement would lead a campaign to chase people away. But uh, the concerns which have been expressed here by the community of Rosa Tenville needs to be attended to. And unfortunately, I've been hearing all these complaints in the rural areas, townships, in the cities. So there is a need for a political willingness of the South African authorities to pull up their socks. The UDM leader has also called for an urgent summit that will deal with divisions among Africans in the country. Bando Lomisa has more. I think we need to sit around the table wherein we call the government institutions, law enforcement agencies, as well as the United Nations refugees, institutions and social workers with a view to address this problem once and for all. If I want to go and stay in Zimbabwe, I have to comply with the rules and regulations of that country. So we need to educate whoever is here, whether they are legal or illegal, and that we must encourage them to register their whereabouts. The party also used the time to urge residents to punish the ANC by not voting for it in these elections because it has failed them. SABC News, south of Johannesburg. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Africa, Africa.
Tanganyika na Unai. Former MEC of Economic Development in South Africa's Free State Province, Mkolisi Dukwana, has told the State Capture Commission of Inquiry that the controversial Gupta family was paying the country's ruling ANC Secretary General Esma Khashule and former President Jacob Zuma's son, Duduzani, one million rand per month. Mahashule was then Premier of the Free State, Nomabulani reports. The former Economic Development MEC of the Free State, Mkolisi Dugwana, has revealed startling details of how former Premier Ace Mahashule facilitated meetings and relationships between the provincial government and the Gupta family. Dugwana says he first met the controversial family in 2008 after Mahashule facilitated a business partnership between his son and Tony Gupta. He says he had not been aware that Mahashule was bringing him to meet the Guptas. And he then indicated to me that uh, because of his exposure as a, as a political person, he would rather have his son, Tebiso, uh, dealing with this. And he, he deliberately said to me that uh, there is no law in the country that prohibits his son from doing business with any person. And it cannot be the fact that uh, because he's uh, uh, involved in government that the son uh, can be stopped from doing business. Dugana also details another meeting with Tony Gupta that was facilitated by Mahashule. He says the then Premier took him to the Saxon Royal compound under the pretext that he was attending a fundraising dinner for the ANC. But at that meeting, he was pressurized to sign a letter that would appoint Gupta-affiliated companies to two multi-million rand development contracts in the free state. As Gupta tried to convince him to sign the letter, he revealed that Mahashule and Tuzani Zuma were each receiving one million rand per month for previous deals. He gave me the letter again to sign. But when I refused, he said, you know, I'm trustworthy. You, you can trust me. Ask Brother Ace, ask Brother Tuzani. We get three million every month. I give them, I drive after every month, after getting the money, I drive to uh, Ace Mahashule's place and I give him his million and I give uh, Duduzani his million and I get my million. Dugana revealed that he was then offered a bribe of 2 million rand per month if he agreed to bring on board the Gupta affiliated companies for the new development projects. He was saying, we will give you this amount of money for this uh, project. We'll give you two million. And upon signing, you'll get two million immediately and two million for the duration of the contract. And that will be a monthly payment to me. The former MEC has detailed how before the bribe, Gupta Associates had attempted to take over the handling of one of the multi-million rand development projects. He says controversial businessman Iqbal Sharma would draft letters, agreements and master plans for the City of Tomorrow project on behalf of Duguana. Tepiso Mahashule, son of former Premier Ace Mahashule, would then hand the letters to Duguanam. The former MEC was then expected to add his signature and letterhead to legitimize the documents. But are you confirming that what was happening now in terms of what we are dealing with here is that Mr. Sharma was sending draft letters 
And that report by Norma Bolani. It is 8.31 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our headlines up next with Nosile Zuma. Lulu, 21 people killed and 27 wounded in fighting near the Libyan capital Tripoli. Thousands of demonstrators spent a second night camped outside Sudan's army headquarters, demanding that President Omar al-Bashir step down. And Tunisian President Beij Kaid Essebsi announces that he will not run for a second term in presidential elections expected this year, despite his party's calls for the 93-year-old to stand. Amanda Machaka will give you a full bulletin at the top of the hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Well, South African political parties Ahang SA and Azapo have taken their election campaign to different parts of the Limpopo province. Ahang SA leader Andres Tloama addressed party members and supporters in Sikhosise outside Zanin. Tloama says the public has lost confidence in politicians due to the conduct of some of them. Meanwhile, Azapo President Strike Tokwana wooed voters in Khroblesdal and Mabel Hall. Jabulani Baloyev reports. A handful of Ahang SA members made their presence felt in this Khosese area. They are hoping to persuade voters to vote for their party. Party leader Kloyama conducted a door-to-door campaign in the area. He says members of the public have lost confidence in politicians as some parties are being represented by people with allegations of corruption hanging over them. The confidence has died. You go to each and every house, you tell them that you are a politician, you want to help them. They tell you about a list of thieves they know from the ANC. They even told me that, look, before the Premier Matawata, there was a person who was Kassel Matal, who made Limpopo to be under administration. What they did, they took these thieves to parliament. We must just make sure that people like Kassel Matal must be held accountable. Now we have a former mayor of Vembe, who is Ms. Razilani, who is on the provincial list, you know, a VBS looter. What hope do we have with the ANC? That's why we are saying the people at, uh, to the people at Swasses, please vote for Arang SA. Luama also says if voted into power, his party will create an environment conducive for entrepreneurship in order to fight unemployment. I think we need to inspire the youth to start developing their own businesses, to become entrepreneurs themselves, so that they can be able to fend for themselves. Because this thing for our young people, for them to qualify to look for an employment, it's not helping anymore. There are a lot of people, young people who are qualifying every year. So we must tell them that they can still be artisans, they can still be entrepreneurs. Meanwhile, Azabu President Strike Tokwane campaigned in Malibita village in the mobile hall. Tokwana hopes his party will be able to secure enough votes to help influence the formation of coalition government if no party wins an outright majority. 
Our ambition in terms of representation in parliament, uh, nationally and provincially, is that uh, a significant number of seats to be able to influence in the coalition government. Um, this is what we are saying to our people, that they must vote us in uh, large numbers so that we can have uh, enough seats to influence government. Members of the community at Malibita village in Ephraim Mohali municipality where Tokwana was campaigning for votes say some of the problems they encounter include unemployment and poor services. Problems here in Malibita, we have uh, challenges. The challenges we are having, uh, we don't have a service delivery. We are in employment and uh, what we need, we, we need the, 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 the road. We don't have a road at all at Malibita. Some communities have also expressed their concerns about the lack of water and poor roads at Sohoses and Mobile Hall. I'm Chablani Baloyi in Polokwane. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka na Unai. The African content movement leader, Claudi Mutsuneng, has promised a 90% action plan for South Africa. This after he implemented a 90% local music content policy as COO at the South African Broadcasting Corporation. Speaking at the ACM's National Manifesto launch in Durban, Mutsuneng says the party does not have a policy document as such, but rather an action plan promising change within six months. Dries Libenberg reports. Maskandi groups and musicians like veteran William Tetwa have encouraged people to vote ACM come the 8th of May. ACM leader Claudi Motsuneng says he chose Durban for the national launch of his party's manifesto because he started implementing the SABC 9010 music policy in KwaZulu-Natal. Motsuneng has promised to implement what he called a 90% policy within six months after the elections. For the first time in South Africa, when I ascend to the Union building, when ACM ascend to the Union building, we are not going to negotiate change. We are going to force change. We are going to implement change. What we know as ACM, we don't know English. We know implementation, we know action, we know plan, we know vision in South Africa. Motswaneng says 90% of jobs in the country should be reserved for South Africans. 90% of the economy should be owned by South Africans. He says all manufacturing in the country should be South African owned. I want to say to all those businesses, who are coming to South Africa, I want to tell them today, when they come here, we are going to lease land. They are not going to own our land. South Africans will own the land. They are not going to have the rights for the land. Our own people will have the rights for the land. 
Motswaneng says private citizens will not be allowed to own firearms. Only the state's security organs will be allowed to have firearms. He promises to make the streets safe by employing reservists as permanent members of the police and implementing round-the-clock patrols. I want to say to our own people who are using guns to kill our own people in South Africa, under the leadership of ACM, we are saying gun-free for South Africa. No ordinary citizen is going to have a gun in South Africa. Dressed in a purple tracksuit, Motswaneng said he is being attacked because people have seen him in action, that he is an implementer. Likewise, he says ACM candidates are servants sent by God to save the people of South Africa, not politicians who lie to people. In South Africa, we need fresh air. In South Africa, we need to refresh South Africa. Don't vote Old Testament. Vote New Testament, which is ACM. About a thousand people attended the manifesto launch, with some being bussed in from Kwakwa and northern KwaZulu-Natal. But... Motswaneng says he is not worried about the ANC filling stadiums. Votes for the ACM will fill the ballot boxes. I am Dries Liebenberg in Durban. A Chinese tourism expert says Zimbabwe is not yet China ready in terms of marketing and attracting enough Chinese tourists. And to change this, the Zimbabwe Tourism Authority together with Welcome China is holding a China-ready certification program for the tourism industry in the capital Harare. The training program is designed to assist the destination and service providers to be ready for Chinese visitors and promote it to the market effectively. Simon Machema reports from Harare. China is one of the biggest outbound tourism markets so far with the highest spending record globally. Per annum, Chinese make 150 million trips across the world and at least 80,000 travel to South Africa only as tourists. Zimbabwe has, for the past five years, been recording 19,000 inbound tourists from China, which a Chinese tourist expert, Dr. Marcus Lee, director of China Ready, described as poor. Unlike many countries on the continent, Zimbabwe has vast resources and better tourism sites, but owing to poor marketing, Nothing is happening. Dr. Marcus said China has 1.4 billion people and 56 ethnic languages such that only someone with a deep understanding of the Chinese culture will be able to penetrate. 90% of the Chinese business people are small-scale and love to travel during Chinese festivals such as the New Year. Dr. Li had this to say about Zimbabwean challenges. The challenges that right now we have, number one is flights. Direct flights need to be renegotiated. Number two challenge we have is awareness of the China market towards Zimbabwe. It's still quite low awareness, so we need to do more promotions. Number three is China ready. Aside from doing this training, we can also get, uh, for example, the airport to be the first one to be accredited because they are the face of the country. Looking at the statistics right now, uh, Chinese arrival from year 2010 to 2018, the good news is Zimbabwe is 
And on the rise since 2015, from 6,000 to 19,000 Chinese visitors. However, this could be a combination of business travelers versus tourists. We need to bring in more tourists with the right promotions on tourism. Zimbabwe was urged to research and get more insight into the Chinese culture in order to appreciate how Chinese behave, Dr. Maka said. And times to travel, surprisingly, uh, now Zimbabwe only sell during summer, uh, more, July, August, September. But essentially, Chinese New Year can be good. The uh, festival, like Moon Festival, those could be good. We need to explore them. And we need to explore the market segmentation on luxury market, on mice market, on Hong Kong market. Those are few, market, few uh, different segments we can look into, targeting the HNWI or the high net worth individuals. From August 2018, Zimbabwe has been experiencing some civil unrest that resulted in the shooting and death of a number of unarmed people. Economic challenges pushed citizens to protest on the streets and all that only helped to paint Zimbabwe black as an unsafe tourist destination, Deputy Chinese Ambassador to Zimbabwe, Zhao Bonghang, said. Wherever you go, you go to South Africa, go to Kenya, go to Egypt, go to UK, France, United States, what do you care about most? Certainly, that is safety. If it is not safe, and you won't go there. In 2013 or 2014, I visited Kenya, and the tourism players told me that the tourism industry was greatly damaged by the terrorist attacks. And immediately after the terrorist attacks, then the cancellation of the trips was huge. So all the tourist guys lost their jobs. And we are still considering further relaxation of visa regimes for our major source market so that we remain competitive in the region. In Arare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. Our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoku. Good morning. Zimbabwe plans to complete and her land valuations by the end of May to determine the level of compensation to be paid to former white commercial farmers who lost their properties during the government's land reform program. In 2000, the government seized farms belonging to mostly white-owned farms and replaced them with black farmers, saying the move was made to address colonial imbalances. Zimbabwe has budgeted 53 million U.S. dollars this year as an interim compensation. South African retailer Stanoff has again delayed the release of its 2017 and 2018 financial statements, saying that complexities in the process were slowing the work of external auditor Deloitte, sending its shares down more than 4%. The retailer said it had made significant efforts, but its 2017 group financial statements would not be released until May the 7th, and its 2018 statements would be delayed until June the 18th. Stanhoff says as a Vice timetable would likely affect the timing of its 2019 interim results currently scheduled for late June and that a new date would be given in a due course. 
Italy's energy company Eni has carried out internal audits in a slander case relating in part to Nigerian corruption scandal. A source with knowledge of the matter says the review could prompt some management changes at the oil major. Eni and its Anglo-Dutch peer Royal Dutch Shell are on trial for allegedly paying 1.1 billion US dollars in bribes to buy Nigeria's OPL 245 offshore oil field in 2011. One of the oil industry's biggest graft cases. Both companies did any wrongdoing. Kenya's sugar manufacturing company, Mumia Sugar, plans to relinquish its non-core ventures as it sets sights on a fresh path to recovery after years of losses. The cash-strapped miller plans to sell off its loss-making water bottling plant, some 2,200 housing units, schools and a large golf course and plough the proceeds into sugarcane and ethanol production units. The miller is banking on the ongoing reforms by a sugar national sugar task force which has recommended implementation of the Sugar Act and regulations, return of zoning and the sector supportive sugar development levy for the industry. Ethiopia's inflation has risen to 11.2% year on year in March. Year-on-year inflation was 10.9% in February. The rise was mainly due to an increase in the price of cereals in the food basket and non-food items such as house rent, fuel such as charcoal and wood and transport. The U.S. dollar is trading at 358.9 Nigerian Nara, 10.43 Botswana Pula and uh, 99.93 Kenyan shilling and at 12.2 Zambian guacha. In BRICS currencies, one US dollar will cost you 3.87 Brazilian roll, 65.28 Russian ruble, 69.17 Indian rupee, 6.70 Chinese yuan and 14.6 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 76 pence to the British pound, 89 cents to the euro. Gold, $1,296. Platinum, $906 pounds. So the price of Brent crude oil is at $70.67 a barrel. It's Channel Africa from an African perspective. Our sports update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up in our sports update, uh, we'll be teeing off with tennis news, uh, rather it's golf news now. South Africa's seven-year-old elite golfer Simtandile Simtiger Shawalala took the second position in the Australian Open Golf Championship yesterday. The brilliant golfer is expected to land back home with a trophy tomorrow. His father, Bongingos Shawalala, says Simtiger had a floppy start on the day because of fatigue, but managed to find his rhythm and turn around his game. We arrived here on Friday afternoon, which was the day before the tournament. Uh, the boy was very, very tired. Uh, he couldn't even play the practice round because each time uh, he sat down, he just fell asleep. So we played uh, the first day, which was on Saturday. He was still uh, tired. You could tell he struggled uh, with the first uh, few holes, but he managed to um, come back strong and finish strong. 
Um, and then Sunday was the final day. Um, the fatigue was a bit better. He managed to hit all the greens in regulation, so 100% uh, greens in regulation, which is something that you don't get in golf a lot. He played very, very well, and uh, so the boy managed to to play well, um, regardless of the circumstances. The young Shabalala will continue to fly the South African flag next month, as he will be heading to Scotland to compete in the European Tour. He's uh, bringing back one more trophy in his cabinet. Uh, he's very, very excited. Uh, he says uh, this is a very special trophy uh, because uh, last year in December in the World Championships, he missed out on the top five. So this was one of his biggest achievements. He's very, very excited and he can't wait to come home with that trophy and show everyone. Uh, well, top five uh, finish means that he's obvious now in the um, elite group of the um, young golfers around the world. Uh, it means now he gets invited to play um, in big tournaments. Hence, they wanted him to stay here in Australia to play in that um, next big upcoming uh, tournament. On to football news, South African national women's team, Banyana Banyana's final match on home soil before the World Cup failed to yield the desired result as they had to settle for a one-all draw against Jamaica in Devon yesterday. An impressive crowd of around 30,000 fans turned up for the South Africa's farewell at the Moses Mabida Stadium. Coach Desiree Ellis reflects on what might have been. Obviously, we wanted to get uh, a better result, especially a send-off match. Um, I felt that uh, after we scored, we had a, a control of the game, but uh, at times we gave the ball away very silly in uh, key areas. Uh, Andili made one or two really good saves. And then in the second half, we had another couple of opportunities, and then the transition, and uh, even though it was a fantastic goal, I felt we could have handled it better. Um, nobody stepped up to put in a tackle. Um, and she finished it, and then we got a penalty, and uh, I think that's when the game changed as well. Um, being 2-1 up, we could have controlled the game then, but we, we didn't, and uh, we kept pushing. Um, and uh, a, a leg, a post, uh, you know, got in the way, but uh, the effort was there. That was good to see. Um, we created a lot of opportunities, but their resilience, that they, that they hung in there, and hope to get a, a one on the counter uh, as well. Um, and we couldn't finish the game off, unfortunately, but... Uh, you know, the fans came out in their numbers. Um, it was fantastic to see the support. I think when they were singing the anthem, you know, you, you got goosebumps down your, down your back. But uh, we wanted to give them a win, and unfortunately it didn't happen. In athletics, Ethiopia's Tebalu Zawudehei won the Rome Marathon yesterday ahead of compatriots Tesfa Wokneth and Yuhu Nilen Adani as the East African Athletics Powerhouse swept both the men's and women's events. Zawude Hay clocked two hours, eight minutes and 37 seconds around the Italian capital with Wokneth just behind in two hours, nine minutes and 17 seconds in Yunihuligin Adani timing two hours, nine minutes and five, three seconds. Ethiopia also topped the women's race with Alemu Megetu setting a cause new record of two hours, 22.52 seconds ahead of countrywoman Muluhabat Tega, two hours, 26.41 seconds and Chaltu Negesi, Two hours 30.45 seconds. And lastly, tennis news Medicine Keys has claimed the first clay court title of her career with a straight sets defeat of Caroline Wozniacki in the final of the Charleston Open. 
World number 18 Keys, who had not reached the WTA final since a defeat to Sloan Stevens at the US Open in 2017, took one hour 46 minutes to complete a 7 6 7 5 tie. 6 3 win over Danish fifth seed Wozniaki. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories in Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Rwanda begins 100-day mourning for genocide victims and South African ministers meet African ambassadors to find ways to curb attacks on foreign nationals. Our shortwave transmitter has been temporarily disabled. Stay tuned to Channel Africa on DSTV's audio bouquet Channel 802 and on www.channelafrica.co.za. We will inform you as soon as our shortwave broadcast is restored. Well, that wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. From myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Pumuzora Magadza, technical producer Mario Edwards, and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.org. Tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send a WhatsApp on 277-6300327. And taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Mikasa with a song titled Love Is. Stop.